Welcome to Activate with Pastor Christian Newsom, a podcast of Journey Church International. Well, thank you for listening to the Activate podcast with Pastor Christian Newsom, a ministry resource of Journey Church International uh, here in Lee Summit. My name is Ryan, and uh, it's my honor to, to host with Pastor Christian today. Uh, this Sunday was message two of four in the sermon series, uh, Maybe Jesus. We're studying in the book of John, and uh, we're in John chapter three, and the title is See You, See Me. Uh, more on that to come. See it together. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, I want to welcome you if you're uh, listening or watching. Many of you have started to watch online on YouTube. How's it going? Uh, and many of you have been listening uh, on your phone for a long time. We're glad to have you. If you're new to the podcast, uh, we're glad you found us. Hopefully we can help uh, activate your faith. Pastor Christian, we're filming in the prayer room today. I know yep. this was an important room for you in the planning and development, so can you talk yeah. about that and uh, why, why it's so important? Yes, yeah, so I, was, I was in the Jerusalem Prayer Center uh, in, in kind of the old family home of the Spafford family, Horatio Spafford, who wrote the, song, or the, the old hymn, It Is Well. Um, the upstairs they've turned into a, a prayer center there, just kind of mm, maybe a maybe a half a mile or less, maybe a quarter mile from the Damascus Gate, literally straight out the Damascus Gate, uh, head north. You run into kind of the YMCA yeah. on that side of Jerusalem, and then eventually you hit the, the prayer center. Uh, and just wrestling through what God was doing in our church with a lot of fear. We had built a really small building, and God had sent us a congregation that was larger than our building, and we didn't. Um, we honestly had no idea what to do and I was scared to death to build again. And it was in that prayer room that I felt like God kind of sparked my faith and said like, Hey, just throw the challenge before me and trust me. Um, so I, I knew if we, if we build a building that I'd want to have a similar room. So it's an interactive prayer room. Uh, if you've never been in the prayer room, if you don't know how to pray, all you got to do is come in and read the signs on the wall, and you will learn how to pray. It'd be really easy to come in this room and pray for 20, 30 minutes. If you've never prayed before, really easy to come in this place and learn how to pray. And I love the the verse we've got on the wall up there, Genesis 28, 16, which, of course, um, it, it was from our Christmas service this year. Surely the Lord is in this place. Like, we believe God was such a big part of this church, and this room is a special place to just allow people to come do their devotions. It's just a quiet place to to just come pray for our church our mission, what Jesus is doing in the world for people in our church. I mean, I'm looking right now on our supplication wall. We've you know, got a half dozen or so prayer requests that people have written and put on the wall and asked people, like, hey, when you come in this room, pray for me. Um, over here on this wall, we've got the, we've got the names of God. I'm um, actually scrolling right behind the cameras. We've got our adoration wall where people have written some of their praises. Up. Like, it's just a really cool space to just come settle and quiet your heart before God. So, um yeah, pro- probably one of the rooms that's most important to me in our entire building. And we invite you during the week to come and spend some time in yeah. here. Uh, it's open during the day. Come and uh, spend some time with God. I think you'll really connect with Him while you're here. That's the point. Yep. So, important question to start the podcast. Uh, <laughs> you share a Lionel Richie song uh, to start the message. How old were you when that song came out in... in, in was your love song playlist what you used to sweep Danielle off her feet? Um, so that was 1985. I had to look it up when I saw that question. So I was seven. Um, I, I'm sure I heard Lionel Richie songs. I don't know that I had his tape. Yeah. For those of you who are under like the age of 35, you don't even know what that is. I think I had the tape. Actually. Yeah, 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 like yeah. the cassette tape. 
Yeah, yeah I don't I know. Would... I don't know if whether it was on side one or side two. You know, you'd have to flip them. Yes. Kind of halfway through to listen to the entire album. Um, Danielle and I's playlist was a little more boys to men, Brian McKnight oh, yeah. era. Yeah. Um, then Lionel Richie. <laughs> he's got he's got a smooth voice. I yeah. I love most of his songs, and I really didn't know a ton <clears> about him. Till a year or two ago, we watched a season of American Idol that he was judging. I thought, man, I like this guy. Like, I just like his demeanor and his spirit and um, his heart. And he likes so many um, of the old Motown artists from the 60s and 70s and 80s. Was kind of raised and birthed uh, singing gospel music uh, in the church. So you just got a cool flair to so much of the stuff that he does. I think I got a boombox for Christmas that year. <laughs> Our listeners that know what, a, know what a boombox is. Yeah, uh, yeah. I had, and then I started collecting my cassettes. Yeah, you remember the yellow Walkman when that came out? Oh, yeah. When you could like carry it on your hip and yep. wear your headphones, and that's kind of like that's coming back in style. I now. still have a Walkman at home because every once in a while I'll pull out a pull out a tape <laughs> and play it. So only you would have cassettes. I bet you yeah. get sermons on tape. I yes that you listen to from uh, it's been a while from the nineties. Well, and I, uh, Liberty Home Bible when it was yes on, yeah I, I got yeah. a whole yeah. set of those. Those that are great. I still have at home. Yes. I bet you can get those online now. Yeah, I think it's a little easier. Probably. Yeah. Uh, I know you took out, so we're in this Maybe Jesus right. series. I know you took out um, some of the uh, moments that you were going to talk about uh, that were important uh, for the New Testament, but you, but you ran out of time. So what were the two you wanted to talk about, and how did they fit with Sunday's message? Yeah, so right under Nicodemus' Maybe Jesus moment of like, like is, is it possible that you're God's Savior? Uh, I had a John the Baptist, maybe Jesus moment, where John the Baptist was like, hey, are you really God's Savior in Matthew 11, where we'll be eventually as we continue teaching through the book of Matthew, as we kind of head out through the rest of the year, starting in February. John the Baptist had a moment where he was um, where he was really struggling through some things, and it really made him question his faith, but that strengthened his faith. Uh, and then I had a Simon Peter kind of maybe Jesus moment. In John chapter 6, where like everyone was leaving Jesus because his message was too hard, and Jesus like, you're going to leave too? Simon didn't say no. Simon said, like, where else would we go? Like, again, it wasn't a firm yes or no, but he said, like, you're the one who has the words of eternal life. Basically, what Peter was saying is this. If you study the life of Peter, Peter, when he first met Jesus, said, like, depart from me because I, like, I'm, an, I'm an unclean man. Um, Simon, Peter was basically saying, like, what I needed was forgiveness and the promise of eternal life, I don't know anyone else offering that. So I think, it's, I think it's good for Christians to hear that Christianity is faith. It's faith. Like, Simon Peter needed faith. Like, I mean, I've looked other places. I don't see anyone offering forgiveness and eternal life. So, like, where else am I going to go? John the Baptist, like, are you really the real guy? Nicodemus, are you, are you what I need? Like, I think it's okay for Christians to come to God in faith and to live in faith and to wrestle in faith and to ask those hard questions. And I think those may be Jesus moments from, I mean, John the baptizer and Simon Peter should encourage our faith when we have the, man, I just don't know. Life is so hard right now. Can I really trust the promises of Jesus? Will he really come through? That's an okay okay thing to think and to allow to press you to your knees so you can draw close to Jesus. Um, and I, and I love the, what I would call the apologetic of Peter, uh, you know, where people are like, okay, like prove that Jesus is the real deal. And Simon's like, well, prove that you've got a better deal. Like, I don't know that I can prove everything, but what else offers forgiveness in eternal life? I'm, I'm a, like, I'm all ears. You got to give me something better. 
and they and they didn't have anything. So those things for me just make it feel okay to be a normal everyday Christian that sometimes battles in in your own faith. Uh, and I, I think this series has shown us that. Mary's like, I have no idea what Jesus is going to do. I hope it's something good. Nicodemus is like, is there any way you're the guy we've been looking for? Next week we'll meet a man in John chapter 5 who's been paralyzed for 38 years, and Jesus is like, do you want to get better? And he's like, it's hopeless. Like, he's beyond. He's, he's not one of the 60% of people in Kansas City that says, I'm hurting, maybe the church can help. He's one of the 40% that says, the church can't help. And Jesus helped him too. Yeah. So I just think it's, it's good to meet people of little faith and realize that God still rewarded that and walked with them. So this one's about Nicodemus and yep. his maybe Jesus moment. Yep. Um, he's a Pharisee. Yep. So can you take us a little more in depth into the religious leaders of Jesus' day, specifically the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the Sanhedrin? Yeah, so the ruling part. So we'll start with the Sanhedrin, <clears throat> the 70 rulers of Israel. This was kind of their, their Senate, their Congress, probably more like their Supreme Court because they were the ones who interpreted the law of Scripture and then they pushed it down spiritually. So in Numbers chapter 11, Moses went to God and was like, why are you asking me to take care of all these people? The people were grumbling against Moses again. We don't like the food. We don't like the water. And Moses went to God and he's like, this is too much for one person. Like, I'm not their dad. I'm not their mom. You have to help me. And God said, call 70 of your elders and I will put my spirit on them and they'll just help you carry the burden. So that's where the concept of the Sanhedrin came from. 70, 70 spirit-filled leaders that just helped carry the Spirit of God among the people. They were not really set up to be a ruling body. They were just set up to carry the Spirit of God among the people. Eventually, that would morph into um, judges. In the time of judges, people who kind of stood and said, this is what God wants, this, doesn't what God, this isn't what God wants. Eventually, judges would be kind of... Um, they would be wiped out by kings. Saul would come and then David would come. And this kind of ruling spiritual body went away because all the Levitical priests were to serve at the temple, but they weren't really serving or teaching the people a whole lot. We learn in the reign of Jehoshaphat that he appointed a very specific group of Levites to go from town to town to start teaching people scripture again, which is like one of my favorite parts of his reign that he's like, you need to go teach people the Bible. Um, but then when the temple goes away and when Israel goes away, when Jerusalem goes away, really they think the, the New Testament Sanhedrin was kind of reconvened in the days of Ezra, where Ezra as an exile and then as someone who returned to the promised land uh, was trying to lead the people spiritually, teach the people spiritually. Even when we read a little bit of Ezra and Nehemiah, we see Ezra leading groups of people that are among the people trying to teach them right and wrong and what God's doing. Remember, temple's gone. So the whole thought of like synagogues, like worship Jesus, like worship God where you are, that all arrives at that, that all kind of arrives out of the exile time. Like we're here for 70 years. We can't wait to go back to the temple. The temple's not even there. Yeah. We have to figure out how to worship God. So worship, worshiping God became about his word and keeping his word instead of the spirit of God and the presence of God. Um, and by the time we get to Jesus, the 70 plus the high priest, so 71, like Moses was the high priest and he asked 70 to help him. Um, these 70 plus the high priest had really become the, the spiritual ruling body. They interpreted the laws and said yay or nay, which is why they were the ones who had the power to say like Jesus lives or dies. It's like, yeah, spiritually, nope, he's a, he's a no. Blasphemy, he's, he said he was going to tear down the temple and rebuild it. He claims to be God. 
Um, and we don't think he is. Like, they had all the authority spiritually in Israel. Not politically, because Rome, Rome was over the place politi- yeah. politically. And then even Rome had set up kind of a puppet government in Herod. So, like, geopolitically, really crazy stuff going on in Israel. Because you had Rome, ultimate authority. Herod, who was kind of like, I'll keep things the way Rome wants them and, co- and collect taxes for Rome. And then you had these religious rulers um, in Jerusalem, made up of two parties. So the Sanhedrin had the Democrats and the Republicans. They weren't the Pharisees and Sadducees. The Sadducees were very wealthy, very politically minded um, spiritual leaders. They did not believe in the supernatural at all. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in demons. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in the afterlife. They just believed that God has, they only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament, um, the Pentateuch, and their job was basically to live that law. And they thought that that law would, would allow them to establish a kingdom that would, ben, like, that would benefit them. They really didn't even need it to be a spiritual kingdom. They just needed to legally be connected to the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. Um, so we, we meet Sadducees, and then there were Pharisees. Pharisees would have been the middle class, but really, really legalistic, spiritual rule makers, rule keepers, rule evaluators. They were the ones who were going to put you in spiritual jail. They were the ones, they were the ones saying, like, don't touch that, don't taste that, yeah. don't eat that, catch go back home on the Sabbath. Wrong. Yeah, catch you doing anything wrong, um, you'd be in trouble. And they were constantly trying to teach you to do things right. So, like, it wasn't that they had a bad heart. They just missed. They had fallen more in love with the law than the Lord. Yeah. So they missed. So um, so Nicodemus was one of these. So you had Pharisees, Sadducees that made up the Sanhedrin that was just kind of this political body that was the, the Pharisees trying to spiritually hold on to people through the word. The Sadducees trying to figure out how to birth God's kingdom in a way that would really benefit them. They were really in bed with not only Herod, but, it, but with Rome trying to figure out what do you need for us to kind of have what we have and do what we do. And Jesus kind of came up and, and blew up the entire thing. The th- Kind of the third religious group that lived in that day was the Essene community, which was John the Baptist. They'd rejected both the legalism of the Pharisees and kind of the nationalism of the Sadducees and the temple worship. They said it's all corrupt, so they lived in the desert and wrote scrolls that we found later probably as the Dead Sea Scrolls. That was kind of that community. So Jesus steps right in the middle of that. And says, my message is the message of Ezekiel. Like, the starting line spiritually is not that you're born a Jew, not that at 13 you become a Jewish man, not that at 30 you can become a Jewish spiritual leader, not that at 50 you can become a national leader, which Nicodemus is like, I did all the things I think I'm supposed to do. And Jesus is like, that is not the line that connects you to God. It's being desperate enough to need a Savior and, and repent of your sins. So you just kind of, had to, kind of had to reset the entire conversation with Nicodemus. So it leads into he's he's a Pharisee, right? Um, who who you talked about follows rules, very stuck right. on that. Over the years, I found that people with a with kind of a religious background have trouble opening their hearts sometimes to right. Jesus, to grace, to forgiveness. Right. Um, you sum up this pretty well in the statement: salvation will come through the Son of Man, not the traditions of men. Right. Even a question in there that was really good that you said kind of from Nicodemus. Are you telling me I have to go back to the starting line yeah. spiritually? So the question is, can you speak to our listeners, some who may be trusting their salvation to a tradition they took part in? Yeah, I'm saved because I did this traditional thing right. instead of trusting Jesus. Right. So I've got two bobbleheads sitting on my desk at home. 
one of Charles Spurgeon. Um, I don't even know where it came from, but it's one of my favorites. And one of John Wesley mm. that I got on a uh, on a vacation to kind of the, the Atlantic Islands of Georgia. Uh, I didn't realize that that's one of the places that John Wesley came and did all his revivals. One of my he- one of my heroes spiritually. So I went to a Wesleyan church growing up, um, and of course Wesley also birthed the me- the Methodist movement. And the thought of so much of what I learned growing up, and the thought of the Methodist community is there are these methods that Christians follow to stay close to Jesus. And we would say there's no question that spiritual disciplines help you get closer to Jesus and make you more like Jesus. But those kind of became the responsibility of man to get to God rather than the response of man because God got to them. Um, And grace says, like, regardless of what, like you were blind and Jesus opened your eyes. So the only reason you see Jesus is because he wants you to see him. Like he came to you to rescue you. Now as a response to that, you want to be more like him. You want to be closer to him. You want to learn his word. You want to get baptized. You want to get catechized. You want to remember all the scripture. You you want to get you want the blessing of the church on your marriage and you want somebody to read last rites or come pray for you when you die. Like all these things spiritually are really really important. I don't do them so that I will be saved. I do them because I am saved. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that the two words that are really good there are response or responsibility. When a church starts telling you your responsibility to prove that you're a Christian, to stay a Christian, or to become a Christian, are to do all these things. And Ryan, we have people in our church that's like, I don't think they got saved because they've not done these five or six things yet. And it's like, okay, that I think I think there's a conversation to have about, hey, like if if Jesus is really in your life, your fruit should look a little more like this. But that does not mean that they're saved, and doing that does not save them. We're we're talking about we're talking about two different things. Mm-hmm. My responsibility that saves me, or my response because God has saved me, and we've got to make sure that discipleship flows out of grace, and it comes from a heart of love and and pushes people to spiritual disciplines because of their love for Jesus, um, not methods of salvation, so that they can like twist Jesus' arms and say, "Well, I checked every box." Like you have to now, and those who believe they are responsible for for their salvation or for keeping their salvation. Yeah, they got to go back to starting line spiritually because it's a beautiful, much more healthy, much more freer place to to live from. You mean all I have to do is admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior and then start from there? Yep, that that is the starting line. You see God for who he is, you see you for who you are. Yeah, and then and then you repent. And you say, I'm sorry, and you tell God, like, um, hey, I don't want Jesus. I need Jesus. It's a life or death thing. I need him. And if I have him, I have spiritual life. And if not, I live in spiritual death. I, I need him. We've had some great conversations over the years with people, even sometimes when they want to talk about baptism, helping them to understand the right. difference between, right. well, I did this as a kid, so therefore I'm a Christian. So right. well, let's talk through this. <laughs> right. So if you're listening and you are kind of wondering, we'd, we'd be glad to have those conversations. Our spiritual care team would love to have those care conversations. Spiritual disciplines are great. The methods for knowing Jesus are great, but the motive behind them is really, really important. Yes, absolutely. You talked briefly about the prophets, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and the new covenant promises yep. made to exiled yep. Israel. Can you go into a little more detail there for people who want to understand the new covenant ministry of Jesus in the New Testament? Yeah, so what's funny is you have these new, tes- you have these new covenant <clears throat> prophets in the old covenant part of scriptures before the new covenant even started. So the, the old covenants of connection to God, 
um, you know, the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, the Sinaitic covenant. Like, so, you know, telling Abraham that his people, the Jews, are going are gonna to bless the world. The spiritual line is going to come from him. And then the Apostle Paul does a real good job saying, like, not every physical relative of him. I mean, like Jacob and Esau were only a generation away, and one of them was a godfather, and one of them wasn't. So it wasn't just the blood in their veins. It was the, the spirit of their heart. Um, but Jewish people, the land, the promised land that Moses and the people worked so hard to get to, um, the king, you know, the royal king that the Messiah would come and be a king of Israel. So the royal king in the line of David. And then the temple, of course, where God's spirit was like, all of the promises of God that made the people think he was among them and would be among them and would use them and would fulfill his mission were connected to all those old covenants of nation and land and king and temple. And by the time Jeremiah and Ezekiel were prophesying, those were gone. So the people were asking, what do we have now? Like everything that was promised, and let me say this real clear, everything that was promised, we lost. God didn't remove, but with his promise came conditions, and we blew it. Like, God said, if you follow me, uh, nation, land, kings, temple. We didn't. We've lost all those now. Have we lost God? That's that was a great question. It was a really good question. So Jeremiah shows up in Jerusalem. Ezekiel shows up in Babylon, and they're basically giving the same message to people. This is going to look different now because you lost um, nation, and land, and kings, and temple, but you've not lost God, because it's always been by a spirit, and it's always been by faith, and it's always been by a heart of repentance that knows you need God to save and rescue you. It always comes from understanding that this brokenness needs to be covered, and you got so used to the religion of Judaism that you lost the God of Israel. Um, so Ezekiel and Jeremiah have these very, very unique ministries of saying, you blew it, with the old covenant, but God's not done. God's not done. God's not done. God's going to do a new thing, new thing, new thing, new thing. And the new thing would not be renewed nation. The new thing would not be renewed land. The new thing would not be um, renewed kings. The new thing would not be renewed temples. As a matter of fact, in the days of Jesus, the nation of Israel was a vassal state of Rome. The land of Israel was in the Roman Empire. The king of Israel was a puppet king who was part Edomite. Um, and the temple of Israel had, had been built by a pagan named Herod to basically buy off the religious people so that he could have his support. Like none of the old covenants were spinning in the time of Jesus. And yet here he comes in the, in the new covenant, which, which word covenant means promise, the new promise of God to connect to the world, which had always been through his spirit, which Ezekiel had to remind the people of, was poured out not only when Jesus died, but when his Holy Spirit fell on Pentecost. So you have Jeremiah in this gap in history. Old covenant promises appear lost. Is God done with this? No, he's going to do a new thing. And they are the ones saying, look for something different, look for something different, look for something different. And Nicodemus and the boys missed it. Like Jesus literally quoted Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, and Nicodemus was like, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what that means. Like, yeah. I don't know what that means. And Jesus is like, you're the teacher of Israel, and you don't know Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25 through 27? Like, you're missing it. Um, so it's, it's just a, it's a fascinating period to read. Last half of the book of Isaiah, even though Isaiah was not an exilic prophet, and then Ezekiel Jeremiah teaches so much about, all right, the old way looks dead. What's next? And so much of it points to Jesus and is only fulfilled in Jesus. 
Great information. Another one of those you're probably going to want to rewind that as you try to put your mind around Scripture and understand it more. Thanks for sharing that. That was really informational uh, and helpful. So before I preface our last question, always, you you mentioned people going to Step 4 Growth Track, yeah. Uh, yeah. filling out our spiritual health assessment, yeah. because basically by the end, they're going to they're gonna know where they need to start, which discipleship track, right. which group they need to get into. So I want to mention that to you. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be promoting these on Sunday morning uh, out, in the, out in the atrium for you to be able to go. There, there's no reason I can't jump in one of these groups, so we want to help you to do that. So as always, we kind of uh, end the message with discipleship from the standpoint of how can we take what we've learned and share it with someone else. So from today's message, uh, Pastor Christian, uh, what would you want our audience to share with someone else? Yeah, if, if I'm discipling someone, I right, said so not the lost world, mm-hmm. but if I'm pouring into someone who's a Christian, it's see, it's see you, see me. I mean, it's see you, see me. Um, the grace of God can only be as big as the sin in your heart. And some people serve a God with itty bitty grace because they just think so much of themselves spiritually. And like they think like if God would save Osama bin Laden, that's a lot of grace. It's like, no, no, no. God saved you. That's a lot of grace. So I say, see you, see me. Um, if you want to see a big God, if you want to, if you want to be totally in awe of who Jesus is, you have to be totally disgusted to the point of crucifying yourself to follow him. So I say, see, see you, see me, your grace, the way you see grace will never be bigger than the way you see your sin. And we just got to keep pulling back the layers to realize how broken we are, to realize how good God is. And I think that concept is so important as Jesus unpacks this conversation with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is like, hey, I see you. And Jesus is like, that's great. But the requirement for salvation is not just that you see me. It's also that you see you, that you see your heart and that you understand that you like you need a you need a you need a savior, not a star on your chart because you've achieved everything that a Jewish male can achieve. And hopefully that'll drive you to, one, understand how much you've been forgiven of. Yes. And then you'll realize God wants to do the same in other people's yes. lives. And you'll remember to invite yes. people. This whole year for us is come and see. Yeah. So let's remember to invite our friends, uh, invite people, and, and even those who we may have given up on. We just think, oh, they're too far gone. Especially those that, Especially. that we've already given up on. Yes. yes. Thanks, Pastor Christian, for sharing. Uh, thank you for listening today from wherever you're at. We hope you'll come and join us on a Sunday morning if uh, if you can. We'd love to have you come and be a part of one of our services, either 845 or 1030. If you have a question for us, remember you can email us at activate at takethejourney.cc. It's been a little while since uh, someone has sent us a question, so feel free to do so. Otherwise, we look forward to catching you next time on the Activate Podcast, where we challenge you to build a faith that is active. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Activate. We would love for you to join us in person for one of our weekly worship experiences. You can find out more information about JCI on our website at takethejourney.cc. Help us get the word out about this resource. You can do so by subscribing, reviewing, and sharing this episode on your favorite social media platform. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Activate Podcast.